Welcome to the all new, all different Aim for the Bushes in the 2021 season. I am your podcast person, Pablo, also known as JPAV, also known as Pab, also known as Pabby. And today it is solely I. We have no guests, just me ranting and raving as per usual when it's just me. Today's topic is, well, the title is Everything Old is New. So if you did not read the episode description slash show notes, basically, we're going to be talking about the vintage aesthetic or nostalgic trend that has been going on for a while now, but uh, been more popular, I guess, in in the last few years. So we'll be taking a look at that just before we do our non-legal legal disclaimer. So uh, everything that we express here, whether it's myself or a fellow podcast person, it's just our opinion that we're expressing and we're not stating that what we say is the ultimate truth or the final word on a given subject. So you can agree with us or you can disagree with us. It's all good. So with that out of the way, let's get into today's topic. So as I said, there's been a recent trend. I mean, it's older than the past couple of years. I'm sure this has been something around for a long time. I think it comes up every generation or every couple of decades. I don't know exactly how you want to quantify the the time intervals here, but it's a trend that comes and goes, we can say. And it focuses on uh, vintage, things that are vintage, uh, the feeling of nostalgia that comes up from time to time. I notice it a lot in in products in in uh, that 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 we buy in in television in in film uh, I guess even books but I'm not going to focus on on books too much but uh, for things like uh, film and television you know you get a lot of old properties uh, either new sequels coming out after a long time so think of things like Full House uh, what's a Boy Meets World new reboots of uh, different uh, film franchises so in the past we've had halloween uh nightmare on elm street uh, even things like uh, the ninja turtles uh, like a lot of the disney remakes so you have like jungle book lion king which uh, just a little heads up here uh, will be a future episode we're going to be taking a look at the lion king remake so stay tuned for that but it's that idea of of old uh, uh properties coming back out new version for a new generation. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's been a whole bunch of other shows that have been announced, but uh, do not spring to mind immediately as as I say these words right now. But I'm sure if you look into it, you can find, uh, again, new versions of old properties. Uh, if you think in music, uh, at least from what I, I've been hearing, uh, a lot of like 80 synth uh, style or aesthetic has been coming back uh, in a lot of songs. So it, it can vary on on where and where you find it. Also, I guess the like like when I say like aesthetic, kind of like the look and feel of things. I know recently things from the 80s, that vibe. So if you think of like Stranger Things uh, that's set in the 1980s. So it has a lot of obviously the style and the fashion. You can think of it in terms of design. So the way products look, they may borrow from the 70s. Or possibly earlier uh, from the from the seventies, sixties, possibly even fifties. So when you get that like retro 
kind of look. Sometimes it can be updated, sometimes not. But that's the general thing that we're going to be uh, taking a look at today. Oh, and you also see it in uh, in fashion. So a lot of fashion trends, at least where I live, what I see. Uh, maybe this is true to where you live, uh, but I see a lot of people wearing, uh, you know, jackets, pants, shirts, a lot of stuff that... Uh, was popular like when I was a kid. So like, like starter jackets. I don't know if that was something popular where you perhaps grew up, but I remember back in the day, people used to wear like starter jackets and that nineties design language. I don't know if you know what it looks like, I guess you could picture in your head. It's a little too hard to describe, at least for me to describe. Uh, So I've been seeing a lot of that. I mean, I think I had, yeah, back in the day I had like a starter jacket of like the San Francisco 49ers, even though I was never a huge football fan but hey i had a starter jacket (laughs) i guess also with the rise of like a champion like the brand champion i've been seeing a lot of people wearing you know champion sweaters t-shirts so that you know that that kind of stuff has been coming back into vogue one may say so we're gonna like i said we're gonna take a look i'm gonna i'm gonna give my thoughts on that and i assume that's why you listen so for 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 my thoughts on these things because i got a lot of opinions about things that's why we that's why we aim for the bushes here. So we're going to we're going to give the hot, hot takes. Actually, this may be more uh, lukewarm to mild, mild takes. So uh, first, let's let's take a look at like nostalgia, the word for a second here. So if you're a fan of the show Mad Men, there's a pretty, I would say, iconic or well-known or famous scene where Don Draper is pitching an ad for, I believe it's Kodak. And like a slide carousel. So if you're not into <laughs> photos or photography, um, slide carousel is basically where you would put your slides to display them on the wall. If you think of like a modern day slideshow, like a PowerPoint, it's the same idea, except uh, not done on your computer. Obviously, it's through this little little carousel, which is basically a device that projected an image onto the wall. Kind of like if you think back in school. Uh, when you had the overhead projector, it's basically like that, but obviously a lot smaller. And you had photos that you would take on slide film. So it was basically see-through transparent film. So if you shine light through it, it could be projected onto a wall or to a surface, onto a screen. And that's how people would show photos back in the day before you had computers. And if you wanted to, uh, like I said, project it on a screen so you didn't have to like hold the physical photograph. And obviously you can get it big because it's a uh, being projected it offered like a smooth image okay we won't have to get into the uh the technical details there uh so oh, in the madman scene don draper's like uh, he's presenting you know the ad pitch for how uh the ad campaign will go or look what the messaging is for for this uh the slide carousel and the way he pitches it is through nostalgia so it's uh, kodak's customers will know that um it's not just a machine that displays an image on the wall or on a screen, but it is in fact taking you back through time. And he mentions nostalgia, and the definition that they give in the episode is that nostalgia is uh, the pain from an old wound, but that's technically not accurate, at least from what I've been able to find. I couldn't find anything that described nostalgia in that way. Because I think the point that they were making in the actual episode is that it's something that like pains us, but we're happy about we long for it. 
kind of thing. In the show, you know, I think they have their own thing uh, that they're going for, obviously, because beyond just the fact that this is the the pitch that they're making in the show, I think uh, it, it deals with like the themes in terms of like the character of Don Draper and all that stuff. So I don't think it's accurate to uh, real life. So when we come out of uh, the world of the show, uh, what I found for nostalgia is uh, it means like it, there is there is pain, but it's like missing home or longing for the past. So I think that's more reflective of when people feel nostalgic for something. It's like you're thinking back to a better time or a perceived better time because a lot of the Oh, man, I'm saying time too much, but a lot of the time when people talk about nostalgia or they talk about uh, the past was better, it wasn't actually. A lot of the time, it's the, the past that you're remembering didn't exactly happen that way, but that's how we remember it. But we don't realize that because that's not how our brains work. Your brain doesn't know. Basically, you're like, you don't know what you don't know. And that's part of the reason why this subject kind of interests me. That's part of the reason why I want to look at it, because people... Uh, especially in today's like political climate, because I'm recording this obviously after we've had that whole uh, assault on the Capitol in Washington, D.C. Uh, if you haven't been paying attention to world or at least American politics, yeah, go look into that. Uh, if you are aware, then obviously you know what happened. But a lot of the people that I guess support not just what happened specifically, but the kind of like ideology or the logic or the thinking behind it, the reason why people get riled up or People have like these kind of conservative views. A lot of the rhetoric centers around the idea that like we need to get back to a time when things were great. Right. When you say like make America great again, using just that as an example. Right. It's 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 calling back to, yes, this time when we were great. But when you actually look beyond the surface level messaging of that, um, what you're longing for from the past didn't actually exist. And I'm going to like talk about that a little bit more, not in terms of the politics of this kind of like conservative movement and all the other racial and economic and uh, other uh, implications of that. Cause that's not, that's not what I want to focus on. I, I mean, maybe one day I'll comment on it. I don't know. It's a lot uh, to process just even thinking about what to say about it. But uh, anyways, no, 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 we're not talking about, about the politics. I'm going to be, more focused on like cultural aspects, but more towards like things like consumerism and um, yeah, in terms of like consumerism and products and how things are bought and sold, how we remember things. So I'm going to be looking at like some of the things I mentioned at the beginning, not so much film and television, but definitely like uh, clothes and, and gear, vintage gear. So a lot of what I have been into recently uh, has been uh, playing guitar. Now, I've been playing guitar for like a while, but I stopped for a few years. And then uh, at the end of last year, I started uh, playing again. And I'm still trying to uh, play more, you know, this year and in, in, in the future. So I started about like 10 years ago playing guitar, roughly. Maybe maybe a bit longer, but around, around let's, say, let's say about around 10 years ago playing guitar. And yeah, I, I have two, I have two, I have two guitars. I have uh, both of them are Epiphone Les Pauls, so pretty moderate, moderate guitars. Is that important to the conversation in general? No, but just a little factoid, <laughs> a little fun fact for you. Or if you're into guitars, maybe, maybe you know Epiphone Les Pauls, or maybe you don't, but no big deal. So I have one that's just a standard and one that's a Zach Wilde uh, custom. So the Zach Wilde one is probably the more 
the higher of the two. So why, why do I why do I bring this up? Well, because I've been, like I said, getting back into playing guitar, I've been watching videos on YouTube. Because uh, like when I started, I wasn't really, I don't know if this existed so much. Uh, maybe it did, but at least it didn't come to me at the time to, was to look up videos on YouTube. I don't know if uh, 10 years ago the, it, it, there was a lot of videos of that kind of caliber where you could find like tutorials and like not necessarily lessons, but, you know, tips and things people would share. And then just general discussion about about the music well, world guitars and all that stuff. The niche, niche kind of videos where like now when you go on YouTube, you can find, you can find all that stuff. So I've been watching some just to see, you know, things about different equipment, you know, in terms of amps, different guitars, different styles of guitar. I don't just mean playing. I mean like different manufacturers, different models, different body types, because they all give you different sounds. So like I said, I have an Epiphone Les Paul, but a lot of people have like a Fender Stratocaster, but if you're into guitars, you know, there's like 20 different kinds of Stratocasters or Telecasters, even even for Les Pauls, too. You know, you have Gibson Les Pauls, you have the Epiphone ones and in, in each of those kinds of models. So whether you take the Epiphone version or, or the Gibson version, you know, you still have like 20 versions of the Les Paul to go in between there. So it can get pretty complicated. So I like I watch videos uh, about this stuff to kind of see, well, what's the difference? Like for, for telecast, like, cause I, I want to get a telecaster at some point. I think, uh, they sound, I, I never thought of it before, but, um, reading or watching, uh, people talk about it and the kind of sounds that you can get. So I'm like, oh, that sounds like, uh, pretty cool. Also, a lot lighter than like, uh, a Les Paul, cause Les Paul's pretty heavy guitar. But in learning about it, I've seen that, uh, newer ones, they, they kind of reduce the weight by like cutting out. Certain sections of the body of the wood there to to lighten it up and stuff. But anyways, that's a little little side tangent. So if you're a long time listener, you know I like to get on little side tangents. In watching these videos, like I said, there's a lot of discussion where people talk about different kinds of gear to get, and I see a lot of comparisons between what's the difference between like you know let's let's stick with the Les Paul, uh, like if I want to get a 2020 or 2021 you know modern day or contemporary. Les Paul, how does that compare to like a Les Paul from the 80s? How does that compare to a Les Paul from the 60s? Because if you go on Gibson's website and look at Les Paul, you'll see in terms of like their higher end versions of the guitar, whether it's the custom shop or, or not, but they'll have a 1950s gold top or 1960s gold top Les Paul. And that one is meant to recreate what the Les Paul was like in the 1960s or in the 1950s so how does that compare to a like i said a contemporary a modern day version of the les paul or one from the 80s or one from the 90s how does it compare to a les paul that is actually from like the 50s so now it would be like almost 70 60 60 to 70 years old right how does that how does the sound compare same with amps you get like an old amp from like the 60s like an old marshall amp or an orange amp or something how does that compare? Or a Fender amp? How does that compare now to modern day reproductions or just the newest version? Because sometimes, like I said, they'll come out with a model that is supposed to mimic what it was like in the 60s. Now, maybe if you have an original 60s amp, it has the vacuum tubes. But maybe if you have a um, not a re-release, but when they like kind of remake the sound it's supposed to have, it could be a solid state or even some of the different types of amps. Sometimes they've you have companies that can get it down to like a pedal. So you can buy like a guitar pedal and it'll give you or supposed to give you the similar type of sound 
that that amp generates. And then you have like computer plugins. So you can, that's what I used to do back, uh, back in the day when I was starting out on guitar, cause I don't have money. Like I have, uh, like a little practice amp, but you can get a uh, guitar software and that will recreate the sounds on, on your computer. So you plug your guitar into your computer and then you have, I think it was called Amplitube. Yeah, I think that was the program. And then you can get a whole bunch of um, simulated amp sounds directly on, on your computer where it's like, I guess it's kind of like virtualization. I, I, the, the exact term escapes me where you replicate it in this way. Emulate it. That's it. Emulate it. So you could do that. But in watching all these videos, like I said, it got me thinking because a lot of the discussion was centered around why people are searching out vintage guitars or vintage amps. And you may see the same thing with, with clothing. Sometimes people search out. Like, at least here in Montreal, I don't know. Uh, when I went to L.A., there was a lot, too, of, like, vintage shops, vintage clothing shops. Why is that so huge? Why is everyone looking for for clothes from, uh, which a lot of it is, like, very kitschy and, like, garish. And I'm like, I don't know why anyone would like that. But people are looking for shirts and stuff from the 80s, from the 90s. And it, and it has me thinking, why? Why, why, why are people seeking that out? Now, I have some speculation as to why, which I will get into. And this is based on some of like the discussions that I watched. But beyond just the why, there's some of the stuff I take issue with. And I'm also going to comment on that, like why, what my issue is with. Now, it's not so much if you're seeking out something old, but it's more things meant to look old. So things meant to look vintage, but they're like, brand new now uh before i go i guess any further i just want to state that like this is not a judgment on anyone's character if you like something that is made to look old at the end of the day it's fine like an example i'll give is like jeans that are made to look like they're worn so they may have rips in them or they may be already faded or uh some i remember i don't know if this is still in trend now but i remember a few years ago uh, jeans that have like paint splatter on them. So it looks like you've been working in them, right? If you, if you seek this out, if you enjoy the aesthetic, I mean, it's just a pair of pants. Like it doesn't mean you're a good or a bad person at the end of the day. <laughs> so I'm not attacking your personal preferences. If you, if you seek this stuff out or if you seek vintage clothing out, it's not a bad thing in and of itself. Uh, I mean, I have less of an issue with, with wanting older stuff. I think it's good in a certain way. Because it deals with like recycling the reduce and reuse part. So reusing old clothes. As long as it's in good condition. Or at least it's the condition that's acceptable to you. You know, that's cool. Uh, like when I was in LA, I found a um, an Apple shirt uh, sweater. Uh, if you're unaware, back in the 80s, I want to say. Maybe early 90s, Apple had like clothing that they would put out. Like Apple computer. They had clothing that they would put out. And I remember I'd seen it before, like uh, either on the Internet or like in old magazines where because I used to get, uh, I think, Macworld uh, magazine, you know, and they would show that stuff. So there's T-shirts, sweaters, uh, pens, bags, I don't know, a bunch, bunch of different stuff they put their logo on. And when I was in L.A., I was in a vintage shop and I found one of those Apple sweaters. I was like, oh, damn, this is not something you see every day. And I think that's part of it. Part of it is obviously like the potential uniqueness of a certain item because when you go to like let's say the gap or something everyone goes to the gap right none of your clothing is unique really or hot topic i don't even know if hot topic is still around right when everything's mass produced 
right? You don't really stand out. Sure, you can have your little subgenres or subcultures of clothing, but it's all mass produced. So you go to, you know, that your gaps, you go to your like hot topics, you go to Forever 21, I don't know, Victoria's Secret, Levi's, I don't know, Guess. You know, you have all your different places, retailers that you can go to to buy your clothes. Well, that's where everyone goes. So everyone's going to look the same to a certain degree, unless you're someone who's balling enough to have custom made clothes like you have a um, you have your own like custom tailor. Or if you can make your own clothes yourself, that's pretty cool. I know some people who can sew or they make their own clothes. So I'm like, unless you'd really do that, you know, you're never really going to stand out because like I said, it's mass produced. Everyone can get the same thing. So I think that's part of the appeal, at least in terms of like fashion and clothing and stuff like that, or even shoes. Because if you've been listening for a while, you know, I'm a big fan of, uh, of shoes. I think that's part of the appeal is that, well, oh, I go into a vintage shop. It's stuff, like I said, it could be a T-shirt or a sweater or a pant or a dress or a hat or vest or whatever it is. Article of clothing from the 80s, from the 90s that really no one's going to have. I mean, yeah, I'm sure there are several cops because at the end of the day, it was also mass produced. But now, you know, 20 years, if it's from 1990, was it like 20 years now have gone by? Wait, is that right? 20 years? Yeah. Sorry. When I do the quick math like that, uh, I'm afraid I, I, uh, I get it wrong. But let's say 20, 20 or so years. No, 30 years. From 2000, it's 20. Yeah. So 30 years have passed by. So sure, there could be several copies of a shirt that exist, but it's going to be a lot less than something that's on the racks right now or was on the racks like last year or two years ago. And that's the thing. So I think people are trying to find this kind of like uniqueness, but it depends. So it depends where you go, because, uh, you know, a lot of clothes are expensive, especially if you get like brand name brand clothing. I mean, I get, I guess, name brand clothing, too. But like a lot of the shirts that I get don't have logos on them. So they're relatively cheap, like ten dollars. Well, Canadian, so maybe like seven US if you're in the States listening. Uh, maybe you can get the, that kind of shirt cheaper in the U.S. I don't know. I don't shop in the U.S. often. But uh, just as an example, so uh, using, uh, you know, the vintage clothing as an example in terms of like expensive, not expensive, because you can go to vintage clothing stores where it's as expensive or even more expensive than modern current clothes right now that are on on the racks. Like, for example, the like Apple sweater that I mentioned that I bought, I bought it in L.A. at a vintage shop. It was about 80 US. I don't know if that's a good deal or a bad deal, but I was like, I don't see these every day. I've never seen anyone wear one in real life. So I'm like, okay, I'll get it. It's $80, a little expensive. I think that's what, probably like close to 100, 110 Canadian for a sweater. But like I said, not one you find every day. I'm like, okay, I'll buy it. 80 bucks. No problem. I was in a vintage shop in Toronto. I saw an, uh, an Apple t shirt. So it was the same style. So uh, it's basically the word Apple written in their old script before they change to uh, their current uh, font that they have now. I don't know. It looks like Times New Roman. I'm not sure it is Times New Roman. I don't know what their old font was. But anyway, so it, it was the same kind of shirt where it's like in the different colors uh, of Apple's old logo where they had like the rainbow Apple. So it was written out in those like, uh, you know, Roy G. Biv colors. The sweater I got was red. And then the shirt that I saw at this vintage store in Toronto was a black shirt. So this was a t-shirt, not a sweater. And then I saw it. I said, uh, how, how much is that? Because it was up. It was hanging up high, like on the ceiling almost. So I couldn't see what the price was. And the, the girl that was working there, she was like, she said it was like three or four hundred dollars. I can't remember what she said exactly. But let's say it was, it was 300 bucks. 
And I was like, 300 bucks. So it depends where you are. Like I said, I got a sweater and I was only $80 in the U.S. This was 300 Canadian, but still, that's quite a difference. So it can be cheaper. It can be more expensive. Depends where you are. Same with when you're buying new clothes. Can be cheaper, can be more expensive, depending what you buy, right? You can buy, you can find t-shirts that are like $600. I've seen them. <laughs> also, when I was in LA, this was not in a vintage store. This was walking along Melrose and like the fancy part of Melrose. And uh, me and my girlfriend walk into a store. And we pick up a shirt. It's like, you know, 400 US. It's just like, I just started screaming because I was like, why is this so expensive? Anyway, sorry, another tangent there. So, like I said, one reason people seek out vintage stuff. So this could be clothes. This could apply to gear of some kind. Like I'm also into photography. I do like I'm a little bit of a collector. So I do have like a small uh, film camera collection and I do use them to shoot when I when I when I go to take out when I go to take photos. If I'm shooting on film. I will use uh, yeah these old uh, film camera bodies. Some people like to use old uh, digital cameras. Not as popular, I don't think, but some people like the aesthetic that you get from these like low resolution like cameras. I'm talking cameras like from the mid 2000s, right? So they're not super high resolution, at least compared to cameras and like monitors that we have now. At when they came out, I'm sure they're pretty good. But so for any kind of gear, I think part of the desire to have that old thing is the uniqueness, right? That you can have. Because no one else maybe has this. So if I play guitar and I have like a 60s Stratocaster, not one of the new ones that are made to be a 1960s, right? But one that is from the 1960s. So like, what, probably like 60 years old now? Like, how many people have that? So that can make me stand up, right? And it's our own sense of self-satisfaction there to know that, oh, yes, I have this thing that no one else has. And you may think that's dumb, but that does motivate a lot of people in a lot of ways, right? Going back to shoes for a second. When you have that Travis Scott collab, right, for like an Air Jordan 6 or Air Jordan 1, whatever, why do you think there's such huge demand for that shoe? Because you can say, I have the Travis Scott shoe or the off-white shoe, because not many people can get it. That's why when you look at the resale secondary market for some of these things, right, whether it's vintage clothes, whether it's like uh, vintage guitars, vintage cameras, uh, vintage shoes, well, not vintage shoes in this case, because it's not actually vintage, but it's because... A select few have it. So that makes you part of that exclusive club, although it's not like a formal club where you get like membership, but you know what I mean? That's part of it. What's the other part? The other part, I think, is uh, this is more towards gear, not necessarily clothes, but it could also work for that idea as well. And it could be other things, too. If you have something that perhaps is more relevant to you or uh, a field or an area that you that you know, perhaps you could also relate by thinking of, ah, yes, this is true for this activity that I like. People like old, the old version of this thing. But I'll stick to uh, gear here. There's the idea that a lot of what was built in the past was better quality. So people will think, ah, yes, if I get a 1960s Stratocaster, if I get a 1960s Gibson Les Paul, that was when they made them well. They made them in the U.S., right? And that was the sign of quality. Now it's made in China and it's crappy or Korea or wherever, Taiwan. And it's crappy. They don't put the same kind of emphasis on craftsmanship and quality. And again, that's an assumption that we have to like challenge because that's not always true. This idea that, oh, it was made in the States or it was made in Europe or it was made in Canada. So therefore, it was of the highest quality and new stuff now that's made in China like I said, Bangladesh or wherever, is immediately crap. Because like going back to cameras for a second, you had the same thing 
with Japanese cameras at first. Because Japanese cameras like Canon, Nikon, was it Sony, Panasonic? I mean, at the time it wasn't Sony. It was uh, like Minolta, but Sony owns it now. Those were like ripoffs of like German engineering, German manufacturing of cameras. Right when you have like your Hasselblads, your Leicas, I'm sure a few other brands. Right, that was expensive stuff. So people in Japan are like, "Oh, that's too expensive. I could probably make it cheaper." And that's how those companies started. They were cheap versions of like German equipment, and then that was the appeal, at least for consumers and stuff. It was like, "Oh, I can buy this." You know, even today, Leicas are super expensive. What I like a Leica, sure. <laughs> like a like a that's kind of funny sorry <laughs> sometimes i make myself laugh would i like one of those yeah of course and i'm sure people have thought that throughout the ages too yeah like a camera would be great but i don't want to spend i don't even know how expensive they are but i know they're super expensive i don't want to spend you know five thousand dollars just as an example when i can get this uh nikon camera for maybe you know two thousand dollars again these are just examples because now, today with like Nikon and, and Canon and uh, Sony, depending which camera you get, they can run pretty pricey as well. Uh, you see the same thing with cars. There's a belief that modern day cars are now just all kind of like made of plastic or that they're, you know, fiberglass and they're kind of shitty. Uh, you know, they're not they're not like the old school cars of like the 50s and 60s when they were made of like metal. Yeah, that metal. Right. And the thing to remember at least in in the term in the with with the automobile with the car example is that that's not really true. I'm not saying that they weren't made of metal or that kind of material back in the day. The idea that like those big cars again made of steel and like chrome, not this plastic stuff that you have now, not this fiberglass that's for wussies, right? But the idea that they were better built or better quality cars, you know, made in the U.S. or made in Canada because there's a bunch of uh, especially in Ontario, a bunch of uh, manufacturing uh, plants for uh, like Chrysler, Ford, GM, right? Th- those cars weren't as indestructible as they're kind of like remember. They're, it's sort of the perception, right? This is the longing for, again, the nostalgia where it's like a time that didn't really exist, right? These cars weren't indestructible. Uh, There's another podcast, uh, I think it was 99% Invisible. They talked about the change in, in terms of like how, how cars were made because they were not safe. Cars were those old cars were like death traps if you got into an accident. And part of what the episode of uh, revolved around was, again, making car manufacturers kind of change how they build cars and like government intervention that it finally took to do that because there had been a call for people to change how cars were made. Because, like I said, if you got into a car accident, uh, there was a good chance you were going to be seriously hurt or disfigured or even killed because of how the car was made. There's a lot of pressure for car manufacturers to address these concerns. They want to fight, you know, government intervention. So they're like, oh, no, l- l- let us handle it. We don't want government getting involved. We can do it ourselves. But, but again, of course, in this case, you have to think of the financial implications of that. That means a lot of, uh, you know, research and development costs that need to go into redesigning redeveloping testing all the stuff so what they decided to do was uh let's not do all that let's just say you're driving wrong right we don't need to make things safer we don't need things you know like airbags seat belts crumple zones uh you know roll cages actually i don't know if roll cages are put in like regular cars but so i'm not like i like cars but i'm not like a super car person but just as an example of like some kind of safety feature stuff anti-lock brakes power steering because, I mean, yeah, back in the day, luxury cars had power steering, but your everyday car, 
did not, and they would be uh, a lot tougher. If you've ever driven a car that did not have power steering, it's a, it takes a it's, a it's a workout to actually turn the steering wheel. But that was the thing. Because they didn't have all this stuff, they were, like I said, death traps. So uh, manufacturers were just like, uh, well, if you don't get into an accident, they're very safe, right? It's kind of like the Sex Panther. <laughs> you know, 60% of the time it works 100% of the time. And so that was the method that manufacturers came up with was by putting the blame on the user. So on the driver was saying, well, okay, well, just don't crash and you'll be 100% fine. And it's like, that's not really practical because then what happens when you actually crash? Right? That doesn't help me. Yeah, sure. I can try to drive as safely as possible, but sometimes things happen beyond your control. So why should I be penalized? I was driving safe. Someone crashed into me. Someone did something they were not supposed to do. And I'm the one that pays for it because like those cars uh, and I think I mentioned this before in a previous episode on a you know tangent was that if you got into a car accident yeah the a lot of the hard materials uh, a lot of stuff was like I said like hard or rigid yes you can put all your that's what she said jokes in there uh, sharp you would get like maimed you can be impaled by some of the stuff that was in the interiors like the steering column uh, the engine block like there was no crumple zones there was no absorption of anything so uh, if you study physics, you know, you have your transfer or conservation of momentum, right? So if the engine gets pushed back and the engine block gets pushed back into the front seat, guess where that's going? It's going on top of you. So you could get crushed by the engine block getting pushed back or the steering column getting pushed through you. You know, it was not pretty. Uh, if you've ever seen any, any old accidents photos, like it is not pleasant. So when you think back, again, you have this nostalgic feeling for these old cars. Yes, maybe they were like high octane very powerful well at the time i think if you compare them to modern cars not as powerful but the loudness the aggressiveness right where you didn't care about fuel efficiency because gas was cheap and like i said they're made of of like you know steel and like chrome not like plastic you know when you get that feeling again that's like an imagined past where it wasn't actually like that now were cars of that era fine yeah i'm sure they had their positives and all that stuff but don't discount them compared to modern day cars, which are also like way better in terms of quality. Like a lot of brands were known for like not working or having problems. Cars were like not the best design things, especially when they first came out. When they first came out, yeah, a lot of problems to to maintain it, to keep it going. But even when you get into like 50s, 60s, 70s, a lot of cars, especially British cars, like the amount of maintenance you would have to do to make sure it stays running. That's why people buy like Toyota Corollas or even Honda Civics. Like a lot of these Japanese manufacturers, again, we go and come back to Japan, which at first was seen as like kind of crappy. And now it's kind of seen as like a really good standard of quality in terms of like craftsmanship and, and use of and materials and, 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 and all this stuff. That's why you have Corollas, Corollas and Civics lasting for such a long time. That's why they're frequently one of the top selling cars is because I can buy a Toyota and it's going to last for like a while and just need minimal upkeep, minimal maintenance. Whereas something like a Jaguar, and I'm like, I like Jaguars, but I know reading a, like E-types and stuff like that, the, the car would break down. You'd have to fix it all the time. Like you, you, they come with toolkits because you got to do like on the road repairs and stuff like that. High cost of maintenance. Going back to Madman for a second with the Jaguar and the, I forget which season. It could be the fifth season, I think. And uh, I'll give a little brief spoiler warning here. 
So if you have not watched uh, Whenever This Happens in Mad Men, uh, I don't know. You skip past a little bit. But when I think it's Lane Price tries to kill himself in the Jaguar, I believe, if I'm, unless I'm misremembering, the, the card won't start. <laughs> like, because he tried to kill himself by uh, taking a hose from the uh, exhaust and, and filling the cabin with it. So he basically tried to gas himself. And, you know, the car wouldn't start or it was running and then it cut, the engine cut out and wouldn't start. I forget exactly how it's been a long time since I watched that episode. But that was, uh, I mean, obviously that's a bit of dark humor there, but that was a legit problem for a lot of cars was that they are not reliable. So when people have the idea that older things were better built, it's like not necessarily true. I don't want to say it's false in all cases, but it's not a given that that old version of something is the better quality version. Taking it back to guitars for a second, like some of the videos that I watched, again, that center around this discussion, why people are trying to buy old versions of things or vintage gear. Because if you look, you know, eventually the price starts coming up on vintage stuff. So sometimes it's worth it, like I said, in terms of economics, to go look at things that are used. And again, it's better for like the environment uh, if you can find something that's useful instead of going out to buy a new thing. You know, going back and finding something used is is good. Like a lot of the equipment that I have, like, uh, you know, even for doing like this podcast, I think almost everything that I use to make this podcast, just as an example, in terms of physical hardware is used. Like I like like I said, I do photography, my digital cameras that I have, I have a Canon uh, 5D2. I bought it used. The, all, all the lenses that I have. Like a lot of the, 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 the film camera bodies that I have are Nikons or old Nikons. I have Nikon lenses because they still work, right? I have like a, well, for example, I have like a 105 millimeter Nikkor lens, manual lens. And the pictures are still as sharp as I guess when it first came out. Can you get like a newer or whatever equivalent of 100 millimeters or 105 millimeters? Yeah, if, if you want things like autofocus. And uh, maybe image stabilization. I'm not too familiar with uh, newer Nikon lenses. But for the type of photography that I do, I don't really need like super fast autofocus. I don't really need image stabilization all that much. For, for like I said, the Nikon uh, camera bodies that I have, which are mostly film. So, I mean, I have some that are electronic. But again, the lens itself is still good. Still holds its value, both monetarily and in terms of the actual imagery production that the lens itself offers. Still good. Not every single old camera lens, however, is good. You can find probably a lot of shitty ones. So going back to the guitar discussions, uh, videos I would watch centering around this idea that vintage gear is better quality. Uh, one of the people I was listening to he sounds like someone who is really knowledgeable about guitars, knows a lot about their history, like how they're made. Like he's someone that like fixes, I forget his name. It uh, escapes me at the moment. Uh, well, he doesn't have like YouTube or anything. If if he did, I would uh, I would plug his channel. But very knowledgeable in terms of how guitars work, how uh, how to repair them, uh, you know, all, all, how to maintain them, how to set them up, all that stuff. Uh, what he was saying was that uh, this idea that this older equipment was always solid. It's like mm, it's like it wasn't true. There's a lot more variability. That's one of the things from that manufacturers have learned over time after making a guitar, for example, or amps, for example. Over long periods of time, as the manufacturing technology and capability gets better, you start having a larger amount of consistency. So a lot of the older stuff that was, like, let's say, built in the 50s, 60s, there's a high amount of variance between, like, one product to the next. So you could get an amp that was, like, beautifully made, uh, you know, the different, like, coils or different uh, vacuum tubes, whatever. 
circuitry, whatever went into making the actual cabinet, the speaker itself and the amp. You could find one of those beautifully done and then the next one could be really shitty. It's a toss up. You don't know. That's something to think about if you're going to buy like a vintage amp. You know, yes, I want a vintage Fender amp or I want a vintage Marshall amp. Right. So the idea that the stuff that was made back then was all, you know, perfectly executed in terms of its manufacturing. It's like, well, that's not true. You do have some really good ones that were produced, like amps, guitars, whatever the, the, the piece of technology seems to be. But you have other things where it's like, uh, again, it could be the same thing. It could be a Gibson Les Paul. You can have one that was made really well, and you can have one that wasn't made as well. They would suffer from like a lot of different issues. Some of it could be design flaws that they later fix. And again, they smooth these things out in terms of how certain parts are made, certain materials that are used. Again, uh, the, the craftsmanship itself, as they refine it, you, you, you get it more or you get a higher degree of consistency. So you're putting out a better product like overall. So just because something is older doesn't automatically mean it was better made. So that's just something there to kind of push back again on the idea that because it was made in the U.S., uh, because it was made a long time ago, that it was that it was superior to things that are made now, again, that are like made in China or made like in Taiwan or something like that. And a lot of that can easily slide into like some kind of like racism, uh, the belief that, oh, yeah, China just manufactures crap. I, I mean, a lot of the crap does get manufactured from China, but. The idea that it's uh, of poor quality, I don't think really holds up because there's a lot of things like uh, you like, let's look at electronics, like your iPhone uh, made in China. It obviously depends on the manufacturer, depends on who's making it, depends on uh, because a lot of the time, like iPhones and like Apple computers, just using them as an example, it gets contracted out. So it's not made by Apple in China. They get someone else like in China, they get Foxconn to make the, the iPhone. But it's not just Apple that does that ton of companies do. Apple's just obviously the largest example, the most well-known example you can find. So again, it's going to depend. Uh, are Macs are made in uh, in China, are they better quality than old Macs? Like in the 80s that were made in like California? You know, I'm assuming Apple had manufacturing facilities in California. They could have had it somewhere else in the U.S. Well, I don't know, because they're really different kind of computers that use really different kind of components. I don't really think in that case it's comparable. The one thing I will say, old computers, no one really seeks that out and says it's better for uh, potentially obvious reasons. That's just the one thing that I've noticed is that that kind of technology, people don't really seek that out or say say that that's better. But uh, yeah, but again, it's not just Apple, like other manufacturers or even like Canon or Nikon. Some people will say, oh, uh, it's a bad version because these cameras are made in china or taiwan and they're not made in like a japanese facility because maybe some of their higher end cameras they make in japan they'll say oh it's shitty because this one's made of plastic it's a plastic body instead of an alloy body Uh, and those are can those can be legitimate causes of concern if something is you know made of aluminum or magnesium alloy it's going to be a little heavier compared to you know a camera that was made with a mostly plastic body could break more easily because the plastic it could be cheap it depends all depends on the kind of plastic plastic in and of itself isn't necessarily worse feeling or cheaper feeling than metal it depends on what kind of plastic is used and how much and where it's placed and all that stuff okay so switching gears slightly like i said um that's one aspect of it or a couple of aspects as to why people uh, like vintage stuff whether it's clothing or some kind of gear 
or other kind of equipment, whatever it may be. It could be houses, cars, t-shirts, guitars, whatever. One of the things is that there's the, the, the belief that, uh, you know, perhaps it's better made or it's made of a higher quality in ways that they just don't do anymore. And that, like I said, that can or cannot be true. Most of the time I would say, no, it's probably, you know, the same or better quickly, like uh, for guitars. So when you have like, uh, like I mentioned, like Epiphone Les Pauls, right? That's the cheaper version of a Gibson for Fender. You know, you have, uh, you know, Squire. Uh, a lot of the, the reviews that I that I've been watching on guitars have been saying like, yeah, if you get like a Squire, like let's say Telecaster, I'm like, they're saying that it's to a point where like these budget versions of guitars, like they're quality wise, like they're just as good as an American uh, Strat or a Telecaster. You can play a Squire Telecaster and have just as good of a sound as something more expensive. Whereas maybe maybe in this case, like, you know, 40 years ago. If Squire existed 40 years ago, the budget versions of, of higher end models. Yeah, maybe there was a larger difference and it was worth spending the extra money to get the higher end version instead of the budget version, because there would have been a noticeable difference. And now it's to a point where the quality, the consistency is there to the point where you can get along fine. And it mainly comes down to like ego, right, or wanting to fit in. Right. You don't want to be the person playing a squire. No, I have the Fender American Telecaster. So I look like I belong. So, again, the belief that it's better made and then the other belief that uh, to have that, again, uniqueness. I have something that no one else has or very few people have. So it allows you to be a little bit different in your look or with what you have. So you can say. I have this thing that not many people do. So now I'm going to uh, talk about a little bit some of the issues I have with this uh, kind of trend, this uh, nostalgia look back on things, this longing for a perceived past for, as I've illustrated in the few examples I talked about, it doesn't exist, uh, at least in the way that people perceive it, where everything was great. No problems existed back then. This is more for things that are made to look old more so than seeking out uh things that are old so this is like like i said buying a pair of pants that are made like brand new off the rack but made to look like they're old so they may be ripped up they may have uh paint splatter on them they may look faded this is different than buying a pair of pants that are 20 years old that are, that are faded that maybe were ripped up because they were worn the reason, the issue that I have with that kind of that that kind of thing in terms of like vintage, the made to look vintage is brand new, but it's made to look vintage. The issue that I have is that it wasn't earned, right? So if I buy a pair of pants that are made to look old, it wasn't earned. I didn't wear them for twenty years to make them get to that point, or if I want to speed up the process, wear them every day, or drag them through the mud, or cut them myself. Even if I cut them myself, at least it's something that I did to them. If I customized it that way. I've at least earned it. I took the time to do it. Now, is this the end of the world? No, that's why I said at the beginning, or maybe not the beginning, beginning, but earlier. That's why I said, like, I'm not saying you're a bad person if you buy a pair of pants, because at the end of the day, a pair of pants that have been already ripped and aged and all that stuff, because at the end of the day, it, it's a pair of pants, right? This is the larger philosophical point, the larger thinking here. So it doesn't impact your day to day life, it doesn't make you a good or bad person. Right. I'm guilty. I mean, I've had a couple pair of pants where there was a couple of rips in them, but they were on sales. So I was like, 
you know, these are 50% off. I don't want to spend, you know, $100 on jeans. So I'll buy these ones. They're $50. At the end of the day, they're just pants. But the, the main issue I have is that, again, the, the meaning is lost. It's not, it's not something earned. It's too easy, right? You didn't have to wear the thing or use the thing, whatever it is, to get it to that state. It already came that way. Like one time I was buying, oh, no, I wasn't buying, but I was looking at getting a pair of sunglasses. Yeah, a pair of sunglasses. And uh, one of the things you could choose was the, the case that it came with. And they had one that was like, you know, regular standard black or brown uh, glass case. But then they had one that where you could get a vintage look. So like it came as though like all scratched up and it made it look the case had been worn. By worn, I don't mean someone wearing it, but it was worn down. Uh, I don't know, like 50 years. And I was thinking to myself, like, why do I want a case that already looks like it's destroyed? Right. That's the aesthetic. That's the vintage aesthetic right there. And as I stated, my, my issue is that it's not earned. I didn't have that in my back in my backpack getting thrown around or in my glove box in my car. Although I don't actually own a car, but just as an example, you know, it wasn't flung around the room. I didn't like, you know, toss it. Or it didn't fall down the sea, you know, whatever, whatever happens to scuff it up and, and all the damage it takes over time. It didn't, it did that, none of that happened. Like, it came like that. So it's, to me, it feels inauthentic. Right? That's what I'm saying. That's what I mean when it's not earned. It feels inauthentic. It's made to look like that. Same thing with like shoes. You can find shoes like I know the off-white Air Jordan 5s that are made to look like they're worn. The soles are yellowed. The midsole is like yellowed. Not the Air Jordan 5, but other other Air Jordan shoes. Sometimes they come with like the, the if, it, if it has a white material, it's like a sail color to make it look like it's already been worn. Or sometimes it may look like it's already scratched. And you can find the same thing on guitars, going back to guitars for a second, where they may make a guitar, like I said, that's supposed to mimic how it was made in the 60s. Because there may be some things that could just be cosmetic, purely for the looks but there may be some things that exist sonically that maybe you'd want this style. Maybe it's for feel, like your guitar neck, how it's made in the 60s. Different than how it's made today. That could be part of it. But then you can also find guitars that they come out, but they look like the paint is all chipped off. That's something that's like purely aesthetic. So it's like, why Why do you want that? That's my, like what I'm saying, it feels inauthentic. It's like, oh, I bought it like that. I This paint didn't wear away. It's not from playing it you know, every waking hour as much as I can and taking it on the road and it getting dinged up and it fell. And, you know, you were, were like on the fretboard where you, where you place your fingers constantly or where you're strumming, you know, the paint chips away, fades away. No, none of that happened. I just got, I haven't touched the thing. It's, uh, I just hang it on my wall, right? It's like, it didn't, it didn't earn that. Like I said, it comes off as inauthentic, so it loses its value in that sense. It doesn't have a history behind it. So let's end it there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the all-new, all-different Aim for the Bushes. I have been your podcast person, Pavlo, also known as J-Pav, also known as Pav, also known as Pavi. If you like the episode, give it a rating. I would say leave a comment, but this is not YouTube, so uh, don't leave a comment. <laughs> no, but give it a rating if you're on uh, iTunes, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I don't know if Spotify gives ratings. It's on Spotify if you listen on Spotify. Hey, great. Uh, yeah, give it a rating, a review. Push it out to anyone you know. Please stay safe. Peace.